The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, for nearly a year, the nation has been gripped by the mystery of what happened to young Tylee Ryan and her little brother, J.J. Vallow. Sadly, now we know the truth. We'll update you on the latest in their tragic story and what's next for the prime suspects, stepdad Chad Daybell and their mother, Lori Vallow. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and, of course, sharing the podcast with a friend. Um, in, in this podcast, we're going to talk about a story that we've been covering at Court TV for over six months. And this is a story that I have described unlike any that I've ever covered in my entire career. Because when I first came across this story, I brought uh, our team from Closing Arguments. We all came in together. We knew we, we got this story from one of our affiliates, and it was fascinating, but we didn't understand it. We couldn't put the pieces together. It took us like three weeks to fully understand what was going on, sort of. And then as we covered it over the course of six months, just new twists and turns have made it more complicated um, but uh, and, and really more, uh, I want to say, Almost devastating is the word. The deeper we got into it, the deeper the, the potential for absolutely disturbing behavior got. But at the heart of the entire story are, are two missing children. That's how it really starts. J.J. and Tylee, the children of a woman named Lori Vallow, and the search for these children. But now the search for those children has taken a, a very dramatic turn. Uh, because their remains have been positively identified out in Idaho. And the case I'm talking about, in case you don't recognize it, uh, is the case of Lori Vallow Daybell, the so-called doomsday cult mom. So I, I want to get to the bottom of all this and and have you understand this case and and get a better understanding for how we got to where we are and where we're where we are going with it. Chanley Painter, Court TV legal correspondent, is on the ground in Idaho now covering this story. And, and Chanley, I know for me it took about two to three weeks to kind of understand what was going on here with Lori Vallow and learning something new, you know, day after day for six months. How about for you, the first time you came across this story, first time you got assigned the story to do, how long did it take for you to, to really, wow, wow, I, I can't believe what this story is about. Yeah, Vinny, it took a good, I think I did nothing else all weekend long, but study this case to try to wrap my head around every twist and turn that has happened in Lori Vallow's story with Chad, Va Chad Daybell's story, all of it coming together. It was complicated and it's still ongoing, right? Where you still have so many unanswered questions in this chain of events that were involving multiple parties over multiple states and it's complicated and our I, I hope our viewers can wrap their heads around it through our coverage and follow along because it's a very big super important case yeah so there's there's a series of characters at the at the heart we say the children but the children's mother um lori vallow daybell is her name now Right. So she's the one that we refer, refer to as the so-called doomsday cult mom. She's married to a man named Charles. Right. 
And Charles ends up getting killed by whom? Lori Vallow Daybell's brother, Alex Cox, allegedly shot Charles Vallow last July in self-defense. Now, authorities aren't completely believing that. That's under investigation still. And, and where's that? That's, that's not in Idaho. Yeah, no, that's in Chandler, Arizona where Lori lived with Charles Vallow. Uh, they were going through a divorce at the time. It was a contentious situation. Alex Cox claims that Charles hit him in the head with a baseball bat, and he shot him twice in the chest in self-defense. All right, so, so Lori loses her wife at the hands of her brother. Right. And, Who, and so uh, now the, she's single. So now she's single, right? And yeah. she meets a man named Chad Daybell. But when she met this man named Chad Daybell, was he single? He was not single, Vinny. In fact, he was very much married for decades to his first wife, Tammy Daybell. They had five kids together, three boys, two girls, living in Utah and then moving to Rexburg probably around seven years ago in Idaho. And Tammy uh, suddenly passed away also last October, apparently in her sleep, according to her obituary. But as we know, that's under investigation as well. And that's under investigation in Idaho. So after Chad loses his wife, Chad Daybell loses his wife, how long does it take for him to marry Lori Vallow, who is a fellow widow widower? You know, and she'd already moved to Rexburg, Idaho, before Tammy died. Only two weeks later, Chad and Lori are married in Hawaii. This, of course, sends off alarm bells to the authorities. Some suspicions are raised there. Tammy's body is later exhumed, as we know, and her autopsy pending. Just another complicated link in this chain of story. Plus, Alex Cox, who shot Lori Vallow Daybell's fourth husband, Charles Vallow, suddenly dies in December of last year as well. Okay, so now we've got Charles Vallow, Lori's husband, dead. The man who killed him, Alex Cox, her brother, is dead. And the man she marries has a recently dead wife. Okay, got it. Now. Oh, and the children are missing. Well, now we get back to the heart of the story, which are the children. Was Chad Daybell ever the official stepfather of these children? Or did he marry Lori after they went missing? Or do we even know when they went well, missing? Well, if we put the puzzle pieces together and we look at the police complaint affidavit and the time frame they use, especially with even the new charges against Chad Daybell, Lori and Chad were married in the beginning of November last year, November 2nd, I believe. That By that time, both seven-year-old J.J. Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan had already gone missing in September. Tylee was last seen September 8th, J.J. September 23rd at his school. So, so he is not the stepfather. Yes, right. All he did is marry their mother, but they were already gone, and now we've learned tragically that in Lori Vallow's new husband's backyard, the remains of J.J. and Tylee, the two children, were found and now positively identified. That is correct. Uh, just recently happening with Chad now also joining Lori in a different jail, mind you, with felony charges pending. Okay, but no one's been charged with murder. No murder charges as of yet. It seems to be kind of the consensus around here. They're expected to have additional or upgraded charges. Of course, you know how it takes a while for toxicology, autopsy, and whatnot to be determined. And I think the prosecutors really want to make sure they have everything lined up before they do so. All right. So now you're covering the story. You're on the ground in Idaho. You covered it um, 
I think from the studio and from other places uh, previously as well, being on the ground there, speaking with people, speaking with neighbors, understanding the community, what different perspective do you have on this story now than when you were not on the ground in Idaho? Being here on the ground in Rexburg, Idaho, of all the places I think I've traveled for court TV, I feel exponentially safe. This is like uh, leave it to Beaver Town. Nothing like this would ever happen here, I would imagine. And that's really what I hear from everybody, the people that I meet in this town. It's a community, it's small town, it's rural. You know, I'm from Arkansas, I'm used to, I understand rural communities. And, but this is sort of different because it's bonded together by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Rexburg Temple is up on a hill in Rexburg. It, it glows at night. It's it's a beautiful temple. The Brigham Young University Idaho campus is here in Rexburg, Idaho. It's the largest university in the state of Idaho. And so it's very much everywhere I go, it's in the lingo. Oh, I know so-and-so from this ward or that ward, or we're in the church. And and it's a very different presence. What I hear is like, this would never happen here. They are unbelievably shaken by the fact that those in the faith and in the community could be a part of anything so grisly as finding remains of children just, you know, within miles of Rexburg, Idaho. And you said grisly. The prosecutor in one of the hearings described, in the hearing of Chad Daybell, described the set of remains of one of the children that was found as being an egregious uh, condition. And I know that our affiliate KSTU uh, spoke with a neighbor of Chad Daybell's and said something really, um, it, it, it could be nothing, but it could be something. And, and I want folks to listen to that right now. We noticed they were having um, a few bonfires that were kind of out of the ordinary. So they had a bonfire, a big bonfire last fall, and they had two or three big bonfires this spring. All right. Chanley, bonfires, and, and this is something that is noticed by one of his neighbors. Um, and we're talking about the backyard. Describe the backyard of Chad Daybell and, and why someone would see a, a bonfire back there and, and, and why you would notice that. So Chad, Chad's property is pretty extensive. It's like a rectangle. It extends four acres, but it's flanked by two heavily traveled roads, a country rural farming roads. You're going to see farm equipment. You're going to see cattle. You're going to see trucks up and down the road. There's really nothing that separates the road except for a little fence to the backyard of Chad Daybell. It's in clear view, clear sight of anybody on the road. And you can see where they have set up sort of these bonfires. And I've spoken to most every neighbor around Chad Daybell's house, and that's not uncommon. You know, they have bonfires out there in the country. They'll have, you know, piles, burn piles of, of limbs or whatever they have, and they do that usually in the fall. So while the neighbor, you know, Matt Price, recognized where the police were searching in Chad Dable's backyard right across the street as the place of the bonfires, the neighbor next door to Matt Price also says that, you know, we do that all the time. It didn't stand out to me because I hear he showed me his burn pile that he expects to burn sometime in the near future. Interesting. And, and, I, and we're still waiting to hear results uh, from the, uh, the autopsy and from the medical examiner to find out if they can determine a cause of death and manner of death. Um, 
I want to talk more about the neighbors, though. You, you also spoke with Boyd Price, who uh, is another neighbor, talking about Chad Daybell. Let's take a listen. It's, it's strange because uh, we knew the, the kids were missing, and basically the police were there in January to try to figure out what happened to Tammy because uh, everything didn't add up that way, it seemed like. And uh, the only thing that I got out of it, there's the kids were missing and Tammy died and they were in Hawaii and I didn't understand that. This must have struck Boyd Price as, as extremely strange in the community that you're describing, Chanley, because you've got a dead wife, missing kids, and someone is hanging out down in Hawaii. Yeah, he said it was a little shocking to him, and he was familiar with the Daybells living across the street from him, and he said it just didn't really add up. In fact, he said things didn't add up since the time that Tammy Daybell was a, a shot at by what she thought was a masked man with a paintball gun. So ever since that time, it had been off. And when he learned, you know, two weeks later after Tammy's death that, you know, Chad married Lori Vallow, he said, what has he gotten himself into? And all these months, Mr. Boyd, a precious man, his family there, said they had just hoped and prayed that these children would be found recovered. He just didn't want it to happen literally yards, yard, a yard or two from his house. And, and it did. And it's rocked that community so much. We have a lot more to talk about, Chanley. We're going to do this again. Uh, I know you've got a lot of work to do out on the ground in, in Idaho, but when you come back in town, we'll reconvene this conversation with more details that you picked up. Um, just quickly, though, what's what's next? Do we know what's next in court? Yeah, we have preliminary hearings for both Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow. Chad's is July 1st and 2nd. He's being held in the Fremont County Jail. Of course, Lori Vallow's preliminary hearing, July 9th and 10th in Madison County, both facing two felony counts, but quite different counts. So uh, that's what we're being prepared for as of now. Of course, on pins and needles for any more developments and results in these uh, investigations as charges could be upgraded soon. All right. That's why you got to watch Core TV every night, Chanley, to get the latest from you. Chanley Painter, thank you so much. When we come back, folks, um, this case, as, as Chanley said, no murder charges yet. But, uh, you know, come on. I've been in this business for a while. So, something's going to happen here. And if, in fact, there are murder charges against Chad and Lori Vallow Daybell, I believe this should be a death penalty case. But not everyone agrees with me. And you know I like to debate people. But I like a challenge. I don't just just pick the first lawyer walking down the street and debate him. No, 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 no. This time, I'm bringing in a judge. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Okay, so as we sit here today, Lori Vallow Daybell and her husband Chad, um, not charged with murder. They're both locked up in jail, other charges. Uh, dealing with the remains in Chad's backyard and and the desertion charges uh, against Lori Vallow Daybell. But we know the investigation is continuing. They're waiting for autopsy results. 
And I do not think authorities, you're talking about the FBI, you're talking about the sheriff, you're talking about Rexburg police, they're not going to stop until they charge someone with murder. And I, and I think it, it starts, you know, close to home. How about the guy who owned the home where the bodies were recovered? How about the mother who was in charge of those children? The mother who was raising, who had custody? The mother who lied about where they were? The mother who was down in Hawaii with a bag of money and a big old grin, beach hopping with her new hubby while the rest of the world is looking for her children. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that there's a, a, a possibility, strong possibility, that murder charges are in the future for Lori Vallow Daybell and husband Chad. So that brings me to my next issue involving this story, which is, okay, you're charged with murder. We are in uh, Idaho. Idaho has the death penalty, which is reserved for the worst of the worst. And the question that we have to look at now is, should this or should this not be a death penalty case if and when murder charges are brought? And you probably are reading my mind already. And I say yes. And every time I talk about the death penalty in a case like this, there are people who always bring up that woman from Central Florida. I, I don't want to say her name, and I'll try to refrain from saying it, um, but she was charged with the murder of her daughter, Kaylee Marie. And prosecutors in uh, Orange County, Florida, uh, argued that it should be a death penalty case. They brought death penalty charges. They had a death penalty qualified jury which they brought in from Pinellas County, and it ended up with a not guilty verdict. And people blamed, oh, they overcharged. It's not overcharging. You charge what you believe happened. And if you believe someone tortured that little girl by putting duct tape over her mouth, discarding her body in the woods so she could be eaten by animals and bugs, then maybe, just maybe, that's the worst of the worst. But that was my opinion. A lot of people disagreed with it. I have the same opinion for this case. Same opinion. But again, people aren't going to agree with me all the time. So there's two sides to every story at least. I want to bring in the Honorable Ashley Wilcott, Judge. Judge Ashley, who you've seen on Court TV many, 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 many times. Um, Judge, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Vinny. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm sorry it's under circumstances of... Um, the horribleness of a case like this where where tragically two kids have uh, clearly been murdered by someone in my opinion yeah and and it's, it's what we do and it's what we cover and the stories we have to talk about but ultimately our system has to deal with it and our system deals with facts and the law and the law in Idaho is is that there is a there is a death penalty so let me let me briefly judge if i may uh, make my case um, in my initial case here for death for this for this woman and this man, if in fact uh, they are charged for the murder of these two children, and 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 two I think is the magic number here, because you're not talking about the murder of one person, you're talking about double murder, which is an aggravating factor. When you when you're trying to figure out who's the worst of the worst, double murder, and then we're talking about double murder of children, children who depend upon who, adults like maybe their mother. Um, this murder, to me, demonstrated a, a complete disregard for human life. And, and I say that because children are in a special place. We bring children into this world. We 
take on the responsibility if we adopt a child like Lori Vallow did with little JJ? Once you have that responsibility, those children are depending upon you for everything. And to violate that duty and to do anything to infringe on that child's right to live, to me, is another one of the aggravating factors here that makes it different in utter disregard for human life because this life depends upon you, and you are breaking that trust. The other problem I have here is the danger that these two people have. We've been talking about during the podcast, there is a pile of bodies, dead spouses, dead brother. Um, where does it end? If, if this isn't the worst of the worst, then I'm not sure who is Judge Ashley. You're talking about potential serial killers here. At a minimum, you're talking about a double murderer, society does not need people like this. Listen, Benny, I agree. A, I think charges are going to be coming. B, let's assume, assume for these purposes, there's a conviction of both of these individuals, first-degree murder of both of these children. Talk about society. Number one, the death penalty is not a deterrent. It is not a deterrent. Even in states where the death penalty exists and individuals convicted of murdering children have received the death penalty, we still have kids murdered. So I don't think it's a deterrent. And in fact, I think it was the FBI who did a study who said, listen, the murder rates are highest in states who have the death penalty. So that's number one. But number two, if society is supposed to respect life, Vinny, if you have a mother of all people, come on, a mother, a mother, the most should be loving, trusting person who is not going to respect the life of her own children, assuming she's convicted of murdering these two children, why is it okay then for society to deliberately choose to kill her and him via the death penalty in, in the, it makes no sense. That, that is why, in my opinion, the death penalty is not appropriate, should not come into play. Let, let me address first the deterrent. And, and judge respectfully, always respect the judge, folks. I always respect the judge. We know there's two types of deterrents. There's general deterrence, which I believe you were talking about, where the public at large would be generally deterred from committing this type of offense because of the ultimate penalty. But there's a second type of deterrence. It's called specific deterrence. Deterrence that would specifically deter these individuals from committing those offenses again. And once you lock them up on death row, and once you execute them, they will not be committing any more murders. They have been the, it's the ultimate in specific deterrence. Then referring to Lori Vallow Daybell as a mother, to me, doesn't work anymore. She's not a mother. She has no children. She has no children. Therefore, no longer a mother, no longer getting any sort of benefit or protection that sometimes a mother 
facing murder one charges would get. Listen, Benny, here's the thing, the reality, even if she's in jail for the rest of her life, you and I both know she can be a mother again. But I would also suggest parents are parents, even once their children are deceased, for whatever reason, their children are deceased. But putting that aside, let's talk about, okay, the specific, I agree with you, but the specific deterrent, I don't believe if these two are convicted of murder, that they will ever see the light of day again, because you can have life without parole. And that is the option, the alternative, the penalty, the punishment. If someone is convicted of a crime like this, that they should never, they are, if they're convicted of these crimes, Vinny, I have no doubt in my mind that they are a risk if they were out in society. So they would need to receive life without the possibility of parole. I I see it as punitive though. And and here's how I see the difference between uh, a life without parole and death is that when you sentence someone to life without parole, they're sentenced to life, and, and it actually turns into a life. It's not a life that, that regular people would lead, but it's a life inside the prison system. There's, a, there's a, a society, a community in there, and you wake up, and there's things that you do that day. There's drama. There's everything that goes along with life. Just ask Jody Arias about that. She is living a life right now. It's not a life that we would like. But it, she has adapted. Humans are very adaptive. And it's, it's a much different experience on death row than life without parole amongst the general population. It becomes a life. And, and someone who has taken two lives, I don't believe, deserves that life. It is a life, but I still stand by, is it fair for society to deliberately kill individuals? It's so uncivilized. Now, the life that they have in prison, sure, Vinny, it's a life. But really, is it a life that anybody really wants, even a criminal, where you're within four walls, whether it's the actual one little cell or the whole prison or the yard where you get to go out and see sunlight for 10 minutes a day? I would suggest that's not a life that anyone wants. And in fact, I have heard that there are prisoners who are specifically female who feel like, and this is what they say, whatever that's worth, that they would rather, quote unquote, die than lead that life in prison the rest of their life. And that's what they try to argue sometimes during the penalty phase, the old reverse psychology on the jury. I know. I've seen that. And sometimes it works. It, It really does. From my perspective, it's about the law, too, though. When, when, whenever I um, debate people about the death penalty, I say, listen, the death penalty, it's the law. You know, if you don't like the law, then the folks in, in Idaho need to change the law. But at the end of the day, we need to apply the laws that are on the books. And if the folks in Idaho believe that death should be on the books, I believe this is someone that should be in those books. Uh, I am talking about the worst of the worst. Double child killers. Double child killers if and when they are charged with murder, if and when they are convicted of that murder. I give the judge the final word. This is interesting. Idaho, do you know, since 1864, Vinny, there have only been 29 executions and they have never executed a woman. That would be my final thought. I don't think it's going to happen. And that's why this is a historic case. Judge Ashley Wilcott, folks, uh, you can catch her, of course, uh, on Court TV and everywhere else. Judge, thank you so much. Thank you, Vinny.
I, I don't know if I won. I, I don't think the death penalty debate is one that you win or lose. It's, it's what you believe in and what, and what you think. And I would never, ever, ever fault a juror uh, for voting uh, with however they believed and however they saw it. I don't think that's one that I argue. I may argue some, some verdicts like that one I sort of mentioned before, but I'm not going to mention it now. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know when you get arrested, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe you haven't been arrested. <laughs> but you've watched cop shows. You have the right to remain silent, right? We talk about that all the time. Well, Lori Valadebel, here, here's my proposition, and I'm going to make the argument when we come back. She does not have the right to remain silent. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. You've heard the phrase thousands of times, right? You have the right to remain silent. You know, you get arrested. That's what they, that's what they tell you. It's part of your Miranda warnings. Um, any criminal defendant has the right to remain silent. The fifth, take the fifth, right? You take the fifth. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say anything. And that's your constitutional right. And, and there's no way around it. It is what it is. It's, it's the foundation of our criminal justice system that the burden is on the state to prove the case beyond any and all reasonable doubt. And the, the defendant who the, is accused has no obligation to do anything, no obligation to even say anything. But let me tell you about the right to remain silent and how it applies to Lori Vallow Daybell. You lose that right to remain silent when you decide to bring a child into this world and you decide to adopt a child and be a parent. You, you don't have the right to remain silent because you now have an incredible responsibility for that child. You need to care for that child. You need to love that child. You need to protect that child. And it's not just an ethical duty. It's a legal duty as well. You cannot abandon your child. You cannot um, not feed your child, not care for your child. That is against the law. So now let's talk about Lori Valadebel, who has done an amazing job of saying absolutely nothing throughout this entire ordeal. Okay? If, in fact, and we don't know the way that the, the uh, evidence is going to play out here, but I'm going to go through a few different scenarios and how in all these scenarios she had no right to remain silent. Let's start first and say there was some outside threat from some third party, maybe Uncle Alex, or the new boyfriend Chad, or some other person, some other cult member that was threatening her children, was going to take her children's lives. You cannot sit idly by and do nothing. You cannot remain silent. You need to speak up and act and protect your child. That is your obligation. That is your duty. That is your legal duty as a parent. You, gonna, you sit sit idly by and, and let your child be taken and, and murdered? Can't do it. You have no right to do that. And obviously, you have no right to do that. And let's say, for instance, you get some 
demonic message from somewhere, some divine message from somewhere, that something has to be done to that child. That child needs to be taken out for whatever re- whatever demented reason you have. The duty doesn't go away. You still have the responsibility to act, to speak up, to say something to protect your child, your minor child. And in this case, children, plural. Then, when there is an alarm going off that these these children may be in danger, and law enforcement comes forward to check on the children, once again, no right to remain silent there. You need to produce the children. Then when it gets to the next level and a judge orders you to produce the children, that right to remain silent does not exist. And that's what she's been exercising from the beginning of this entire investigation into her missing children is complete silence, saying nothing. Can you imagine? Could you imagine if the entire community, and Chanley described to you what this community is like. They all want to find these kids. They all want to help. And you say and do nothing. You say and do nothing. When you're asked over and over again, whether it's a reporter, whether it's a police officer, and whether it's a judge, you continue to remain silent. And unfortunately, under our laws, you did not have the right to do that. Let's take it one step further. Think about where we are now. Your children's remains have now been positively identified. Your children are dead. And what do you do? You remain silent. To me, That silence is absolutely deafening and speaks volumes about what's going to happen to you and what your involvement in all of this is. All right, folks, that's it for this week's podcast. We're here every week. We, we, Take a look at what we're looking at on Court TV. If you don't know, Court TV is a national television network. Yes, it's a podcast. Yes, we're yes we're on social media. But we're on the air every single day. And if you want to watch us, it's very easy. If you have a digital antenna, just rescan it. If you don't have us now, rescan it. You'll find us. We are literally... Uh, almost in the entire country, you can pick us up with a simple antenna. We're available other ways as well. You can always go to CourtTV.com for more. Um, but we are here taking a look at the world of crime and justice each and every night. You can watch me on Court TV 8 to 11. But we have a new podcast, an episodic podcast is coming out that focuses on the Menendez Brothers trial. It's called Murder and the Menendez Brothers. It'll drop on June 23rd. That's Tuesday, June 23rd. Then a new episode for the next six weeks as we take a look back at the first really big trial on Court TV, like way back before O.J. Simpson, 
fascinating, fascinating series. You, you, you got to check it out. If you watched the trial back then, you probably really don't remember what happened. We at Court TV do, so you can enjoy uh, Murder and the Menendez Brothers. First episode drops Tuesday, June 23rd. That's it, folks, for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.